You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we would say that looking at our world, looking at our culture, we have a firm sense of what is impossible in our lives. We have a general knowledge that the world can't be fixed, that we can never really know God, that our deepest longings will never be met, and our relationships will be broken forever. That what we see and what we experience in our lives today is all that there is. Our lives are meant to be meaningless. An endless list of to-dos, errands to run, and bills to pay. And the list goes on and on, day after day, the same old, same old thing. But God has other plans. Our God of the universe, our God of all creation has other plans for his people, you and I, for his kingdom and for this world. God wants us to know that through him, the impossible becomes possible, that in God's kingdom, all things become new, become restored, become healed. And most importantly, we become known by God. God wants us to realize that not only can we know God, but that we are called to have a deep and personal and abiding relationship with him. Let us pray. Dearest Father, we ask for your presence to lead us and guide us today as we enter into your kingdom that is filled with what is possible to know about you. Amen. I think most of us would agree that we lead better lives the more informed that we are. We become more comfortable and we can make better decisions about our health and our finances and our families when we have the proper information. In fact, it is often said that we live in the information age, that knowledge is power. We're also a culture that values education. We all tend to want to send our, want to send our children to the best schools and colleges and universities. We know that a great educational foundation can change a person's life, provide lifelong benefits in terms of career and family, health and even wealth. Personally, before I became a pastor, I was a college professor for 24 years. And so teaching and educating and mentoring young people to get through their undergrad and graduate degrees has been a significant an important part of my life, and it still is. Knowledge and information and study about God and our faith is also important. We gain a lot as disciples by routine Bible study, memorizing scripture, being in a small group discussions, and hearing sermons during worship. One of the most profound things that we can do every day is to immerse ourselves in scripture and learn more about God and his story. Many of us have spent years studying church history. We've studied about the famous leaders of the early church and the history of world religions. Some of us have been so fortunate enough to travel to the Holy Land to see firsthand the historic landmarks and monuments of the early church. 
I recall my first realization that God wanted me to go to seminary school. And, and as I got online to look at the different schools and the degree I was supposed to obtain, I was kind of taken aback at what I was supposed to pursue. The degree is called a Master's of Divinity, right? I used to never tell people I was going for that degree. I used to even whisper it because you and I know that none of us is ever going to master the divine. No one is ever going to know everything there is to know about God. In fact, many people today say it's impossible to know God. On one hand, we can understand why they say this. The scriptures tell us that God is spirit. He is invisible. That God is not bound by any physical existence. He does not need anything or anyone outside of himself. We also know from Scripture that God is all-knowing, that He knows every detail of all of creation all of the time. God is all-powerful. Nothing can stop God from accomplishing His will. And God is present in creation all of the time. So in a nutshell, we have a God who is everywhere, knows everything, and is all-powerful. And so given this description of God, how can we the small, broken human beings that we are with our basic minds and intellect ever have a chance of knowing God, or better yet, even have a chance of having a personal relationship with Him. Skeptics and agnostics pile on to this argument of not being able to know God and argue that it's irrational for us to even speak of knowing God. Some would say that if real adoration and worship were to be more than just a delusion, a figment of our imagination, it must be an intelligent response to something or someone that is real and tangible. Some would say that if we were to know God, He is so far above us that we can't ever know Him, period. Robert Ingersoll who was known as the great agnostic back in the late 1800s, once asked this question skeptically. Is it possible for the human mind to even conceive of an infinite personality? In other words, can we even imagine a being that is infinitely powerful and intelligent? As humans, can we even deal with or have exchanges with a being who is literally out of this world? Others say that we might know something about God, but we certainly can't know him personally. The Greek philosopher Aristotle actually said that friendship requires some degree of equality, but where there is a great gulf as between God and man, friendship becomes impossible. Indeed, the Bible is clear that God is ultimately incomprehensible to us. That is, we can never fully understand who he is. Not only is God's being incomprehensible, but his attributes, his greatness, his power, his thoughts, his ways, his wisdom, his judgments are well beyond our human ability to even fathom. So not only can we not know everything there is to know about God, but we can't even understand his basic characteristics and his work. However, At the same time, Scripture also tells us that God is close to us. God is Emmanuel, God with us. And God has been with us from the beginning of time. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of God 
says the prophet Isaiah. We see this in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of all of creation. God has desired to be in relationship with us. Human beings walked with God and they knew him. They knew who he was and they knew who they were in relationship to him and how they were supposed to be as his people. We were created to know God and be in relationship with him from the very beginning of time. But life began to go awry for Adam and Eve when they started to care about something other than God, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God never stopped trying to help human beings recover their relationship with him. Even the Old Testament prophets dedicated themselves to helping the children of Israel know who God was and what he cared about. God relentlessly pursued his people even, even when they disobeyed him, when, even when they forgot to follow his ways, even when they sinned against him. God has always loved his people. In all of this, the most fundamental characteristic of God is that God is love. Love is the eternal essence of God. Love is precisely the reason why that God created this earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The act of creation, therefore, is the outflowing of God to us. The world exists because of God's love. And we love because he loved us first. And so the Christmas story is yet another reminder, another demonstration of God's love for us. It is a demonstration that God is so eager for us to know him that he came to this earth in the flesh. He walked in human shoes. He told stories. He taught lessons. He performed miracles and acts of healing and grace so that we would know him and that we would want to draw closer to him. The Apostle John tells us, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Even in his dying and certainly in his resurrection, Jesus helped us to know more about God. And God did all of this, creating us, pursuing us, revealing himself to us, walking among us because of his love for us. It is the love of God and the call of God on our lives that I'd like to speak to you about today. You see, knowing God is not an optional part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. We are on this planet not only to be followers of Jesus, but to connect with Jesus deeply for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. Jesus said, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The word know in this verse is a translation of the Greek word gnosko, which in this context actually means an experiential knowing. It is knowing God with our mind, our souls, and with our hearts. 
It is not simply an intellectual understanding of God or Jesus or the Bible. In other words, as disciples of Jesus, we are all about having a personal and deep relationship with God. This is what we are called to do as God's people. The opening chapters of Genesis paint a beautiful picture of Adam and Eve enjoying a personal relationship with God. But the stories of Moses and David open a window into their hunger to know God more intimately. On Mount Sinai, Moses cries out to God, if you are pleased with me, he says, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to have favor with you. King David's life and his many psalms reveal not only a deeply personal relationship with God, but a deep longing for him. Over and over, David would cry out to God, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Knowing God more deeply is not just the call of a few luminaries of the Old Testament. God calls all his people, including you and I, to know him personally, to love him deeply. He called the people of Israel to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And God delights when we truly know him and love him and that when we also receive the blessings of his love. A notable New Testament example of hunger for God is found in the Apostle Paul. Near the end of his life, Paul said that his greatest passion was to know Christ. That's it, to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Paul had had a dramatic encounter with Christ on that famous road to Damascus, and he spent 30 years plus in ministry and had had a deep relationship with Jesus the whole time. But he still wanted to know him more deeply. His example shows us that no matter how long or how well we have known Jesus, there's always more to know and more to love and a deeper relationship to have with God. Paul's longing for Christ points the way for us to seek to know God better today. One of the ways that we can know God more deeply is simply by spending time with Jesus. We are called as his disciples to abide in Jesus, to remain in him. We are called by God to move from being informed by Jesus to being formed by him. In his book, In the Name of Jesus, Dutch priest and famous author Henry Nouwen tells us that the Christian leader of the future, and that includes all of you, is the one who truly knows the heart of God as it has become flesh, a heart of flesh in Jesus. In our world, we may believe that we enjoy and like the information age, but we are all hungry for a moment of presence. We are hungry for a voice that comes from beyond whispering our names. We are hungry for Jesus. Jesus invites us into something more which causes us to give up what we know so we can live in 
to his new way up for us to live in this world. Jesus invites us into an intimate way of life and growth, a way of being in the world that keeps us connected to him. And this invitation is found in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 5 through 9. Hear these beautiful words from Jesus himself. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, is speaking to his disciples in the context of a meal. Jesus and his disciples have gathered in a room together. There are 13 of them. What is so interesting is the way they have gathered. They have gathered around a table that is low to the ground. It is U-shaped. It's called a triclinium. And around this table, they would lay on their sides, leaning on their elbows with the other hand free to, to take the food. Normally, about five people would fit around their, this table. So there are 13 of them, so they are pretty well packed in, one person leaning up against the other. The table was set for the Passover meal, and so Jesus and his disciples are experiencing this long and drawn-out intimate meal. This is an extended time of Jesus being with his disciples. Jesus begins the meal by washing the disciples' feet, and then he predicted who would betray him. You just get this picture of this intimate scene of Jesus with the ones he loved so much. We even learn of the beloved disciple, John, as he's reclining next to Jesus, touching him. There is intimacy. There is connection. There is deep friendship. When was the last time you lingered over a meal like this, where no one wanted to leave the table? Finally, someone brings out coffee and dessert, and you decide to leave because of the deep connections and conversations that are made. This is the context in which Jesus speaks into. This is a time of lingering and sharing and communing. And so it is into this intimate situation that Jesus offers an intimate invitation. I can just picture Jesus looking at the table and saying, we are connected. We're so close to each other in this moment, you and I. It is like the branch and the vine. Let us stay this way. Let us be this way always. So just think about this scene for a moment. This is the God of the universe, the God of all creation, our Jesus who came to this earth to have a meal with us. And his disciples are being blessed 
by his presence. Jesus uses the word remain five times in these five verses. Other scriptural translations use the word abide. It's not a word that we often use today. We use it in the context of someone who is law-abiding, someone who is conformed to the law. When you can't abide by something, you can't stand it, you won't follow it, you cannot be shaped or formed by it or be in the presence of it. The word abide also gives us the word abode, the place where we live, my home, my humble home. Jesus is inviting us to come home to him to move in with him permanently. Home is the place where you walk in and your soul just breathes a sigh of relief. I missed you today. I didn't know I was so uptight. Home is a time where we spend our time where we can be vulnerable, where we invite people who we really want to get to know us into our home. Abide in me as I abide in you, says Jesus. Make your home in me as I make my home in you. And that is what John tells us at the beginning of his gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus made his home among us, his people. God said, the word became flesh and I'm going to pitch my tent in your backyard. How can I get really close to these people? I'm going to live where they live. And now he's inviting us to pitch our tent in his backyard. Learn from me, he says, stay with me, abide in me. This is a lovely invitation. It is an intimate invitation. God longs for us to come home to him. This kind of intimacy with Jesus may seem very far away for some of us today. Some of us, Jesus still feels like a stranger no longer, how, how much longer we have been coming to church but this is our invitation today. This is what it looks like to abide in Christ. So how exactly do we do this? How do we follow Jesus closely? While our journey with God is mysterious, there are some things that we can do to draw ourselves more closely into the presence of Jesus. You're already doing some of it now. You're here today. We pray together. We worship. We sing songs. We hear the word. So I just want to talk about three small adjustments that we all can make to draw us closer to Jesus and have that deeper relationship. First, we need to talk to Jesus, pray to Jesus. Often we talk about him, talk around him, study about him, but we need to talk to him. When I was applying to various seminary schools, and God did call me go, to go into seminary, I was terrified. I thought I was losing my mind, and one evening I was online applying, and I just thought I needed someone to, to talk to. My husband, John, was away at work. Our kids were away at lessons, and there really wasn't someone who could handle a question like this. And so I turned to talk to Jesus, and it was one of the longest deepest, most profound conversations I've ever had. It was life-giving and life-changing, and it's still going on today, and that was 20 years ago. So talk to Jesus in silence and in prayer. Abide in him. The second adjustment that we can 
make is to walk alongside Jesus and other disciples in small group community. Know that Jesus and other disciples are walking alongside of you. Many of us come to this big church and feel alone and lonely. We feel like God is way over there and nobody knows us. We need to be part of God's community. We're hardwired for community. So I encourage you to join a small group. Share who you are. Let people into your heart, into your soul. And if you're already part of a small group, invite someone you don't know to join you. Stay rooted in him and in his community gathered here this morning. And third, we can partake in the celebration of the body of Christ, which is what we're going to do in just a few moments. Jesus tells his disciples in this book of John, in this long passage to reenact this last supper, that we are to reconnect with the vine and with each other, to be together and to remember him. At Christ's table, young and old, saint and sinner, poor and rich are gathered. There are no insiders or outsiders. All are welcome. And it is here that we welcome our dependence on Jesus and our dependence on others. We are invited, friends, to abide in him. Abide in me, says Jesus, so that you can experience connection and rootedness. Abide in Christ, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, so that you can experience the impossible reality of knowing God and being loved and known deeply. Let us pray. Dearest Jesus, God of all creation, God of the universe, help us to take these next steps towards a more intimate relationship with you and with each other. Help us to talk to you, to know you in our hearts and in our souls. Help us to know we are loved deeply by you. And all God's children said, amen.